Welcome to Rolling for Change, a show about the educational and therapeutic side of tabletop gaming. I'm Josue Cardona, and usually Woody Harris and Brian Peace are here with me, but this episode is an interview that I did with Adam Johns and Adam Davis. They are the founders of Wheelhouse Workshop, where they run therapeutic role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons to help teens develop social skills. This is the second of a two-part interview. The first part was done on our sister podcast, Geek Therapy, and there they talked about how they came together and why they did it. In the second part of the interview, we talk about exactly what it is that they do and how they do it. What does a session look like? What do these groups look like? And what kind of benefits are they seeing in their clients? Let us know what you think. Information on how to reach us is at rollingforchange.com. And you can find out more information about Adam and Adam and the work that they do at wheelhouseworkshop.com. So now we are, we are continuing our conversation from Geek Therapy. And we kind of finished up there talking about going into deep dives and into really, you know, doing the work, right, that you guys are doing. And for more information on that, go, go back to Geek Therapy and, and, and um, listen to what I think is a, is a great conversation about how you guys got to where you are. But now I want to get into the, the details, right, the actual work that you do. And, and I'm curious if you ever use um, that first uh, D&D episode of Community to just show people what it is you do. It's actually kind of funny because we were just, we were literally just having a conversation. We spoke at the Drama Therapy Association Conference um, just this last weekend, and and we talked about uh, the application and use of, of Dungeons and Dragons or, or tabletop role playing games in, in a therapeutic setting. And we had to explain what Dungeons and Dragons is to a group of people, some of whom don't know anything about it, you know, have heard the name Dungeons and Dragons at best. Um, and it's really hard to explain what Dungeons and Dragons is yeah. if you don't know what, what it is, if you've never seen it or, or, or played it before. Um, it's not like another tabletop game. It's not like playing Monopoly. It is, it is very, very different from that. And trying to explain that to somebody who doesn't know is really difficult. Um, so we haven't used that one. We also thought about using the one from Stranger Things. Um, mm, yeah. yeah. The opening of Stranger Things has, has all the kids playing Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. on the table together. Um, and I think that those could have application. Although I think what we really want to do is make like a, a, a video that just says like, like a 30 second or, or minute long video that basically is like an explanation. Here's what Dungeons and Dragons is. Here's, mm-hmm. here's what tabletop role playing games are. I, re- I wrote a piece on the blog on the wheelhouse workshop website. It was trying to explain what a role playing game, a role playing game is that I could maybe send to, to parents who are potentially interested in having their kids come or other counselors and things like that. But it is a tough a tough distinction. We, like Adam said, we we spoke at the uh, drama therapy conference this last weekend, and I was using examples from Wikipedia, et cetera, to just sort of show how hard it is to explain what exactly a role playing game is and try to break it down into its component parts. We made it to the end of our of our talk section. That was a, an hour and a half long talk with with some experiential stuff as well, kind of built in there. Um, and we made it to the end of the talk section. It was like twenty twenty five minutes. And we sat down to do like a fishbowl where we could demonstrate what it what it is that we're doing, what it looks like. And somebody raised their hand and said, um, "So how do you win at the game?" And we realized we never we never explained. <laughs> this is like a this is like a, a collaborative game. It's cooperative. It's not a video game. It's played at the table with pieces of paper and and just talking and describing stuff. And there's no winner. There's isn't, there isn't really even an end to the game. Mm-hmm. There's, it just sort of keeps going until you're you decide that it, you're done. Um, and even just that part, you know, obviously we we hadn't quite broken all that down we to the, the level needed. Um, campaign, so adventure. It's, it's a real challenge. We've been doing this now for five years. We've been sort of doing the therapeutic application of role-playing games um, in total. And we're still not great at explaining <laughs> what d d is. Well, and I'm going to I'm going to advocate for that episode of Community. And, and I use it sometimes when I talk about what you guys do because... Uh, and I had forgotten about this. I just recently saw the episode again a few months ago. And they they actually get together and play D&D because a friend of theirs from school is suicidal. And they want him, they know that he likes D&D, so they bring him in to try to, to show him that, like, you know, they're there's more to live for and that they're his friends and that they're there for him. And they kind of manipulate the game to show him that they are his support group. 
And there's this intention to it, right? That even though it's a 30-minute game and it's hilarious because it's community, it's also very serious. And I think, you know, and, and that's what I want you guys to do now, kind of like share some stories about what it is that you guys do and what it's like, because that's the closest thing I've ever seen in media that represents what I think that you guys do, because I've never actually been there to see you guys do it, right? My understanding of it. So, so give us like... Bring us, bring us inside the wheelhouse workshop. Sure. So when when players come to us, we let them make their their own character or choose their own character from a, a list of pre-made characters that we have. So in in the game Dungeons and Dragons, you know, it's set in a fantasy world, and we will give our players sort of a an intro where we say, "Do you want your character to?" Um, to fight at the front or be in the back? Do you want them to cast magic spells or do you want them to mostly use weapons? And so we let, we let them build their character little by little, more like a flow chart to help them pick one of the characters that we have pre-made for them. Because making a character is really challenging, making the mechanics of the character in the Dungeons & Dragons system at least. So we, we always end up giving them a character on day one so they can, they can play the game. And who the character is in terms of their personality and in terms of their backstory is all created by the, the player themselves. And so we, we will let them slowly add some things into their character. And we have this theory that the character anybody plays is the character they need to play. We, we do, um, as, we're, as we're doing those early stages of letting somebody pick through a character, and, and kind of as a reminder, we do a lot of groups where the player who's coming to us has never played before. So we're doing a lot of introductory talk on on what Dungeons and Dragons is. We're handing them a character sheet with a tremendous amount of information and basically going, ignore all of this. We will explain everything that there is to know about about the mechanics of this game as you're going along and as you're playing, which is something we've gotten really, really good at being able to to do um, so that they can jump in day one and we don't have to teach them anything about the game other than how to roll a d20 and add a number. Um, the next parts of it are really Adam and I in kind of our intake process, we use a lot of the information that's that the players making choices for um, for their character in order to help inform us on what kind of character they want to play and what kind of information uh, or, or what kinds of things they need to explore. We really believe that players play the the character they need to play, and so when somebody picks a rogue. Um, maybe they are expanding on the idea of being sneaky, um, on, of being hidden, of being being able to be out of sight. Um, or maybe they're expanding, maybe they really want to play around with the idea of being able to be like charismatic and talking to people. Um, and we want to look at the reasons for why they picked what they picked. So we do um, this, this very basic introduction into the game. Uh, does your character come from a big city or a small town? And then um, what's the name of that town? Um, what's the name of the character? We, we have a bunch of methods for like collaboratively creating the name of a character together. Um, so, Josue, you are going to make a, a character name together. You ready? Ready. Um, give me a letter. R. Adam, give me a letter. A. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a letter down. Josue, give me another letter. B. Give me one more, Adam. O. So our, our character's name is Rackbot. Oh, R A K B O T. Um, and Rackbot is from a town. Uh, uh, Josue is, is Rackbot from a big city or a small town? Small town. He's from a small town. And in this small town, uh, does Rackbot have uh, any siblings? Two. Is two two siblings? Is he the oldest or the youngest or the middle? The middle. He's the middle sibling. Um, and in this small town, we're going to name the small town too. Give me, a, give me a, another letter. Uh, D. Adam, give me another one. R. Uh, I don't know. And then go ahead and give me one more. Jose. N. Dran. The small town of Dran, which actually I think is a real town in, in the T and D Forgotten Realms universe. Um, and Dran is well known for something. It's a small town. It's well known for something, maybe it's trade or, or something along those lines, or maybe it's something really unique. What is Dran well known for, Jose? For its food. It's for its food. Is it um, cultural specialty food or or is it like have a like a really, really specific kind of food that it makes? Uh, just specific, very specific. And what is what is the specific food that they? Make? I don't know. <laughs> um, do you, do you, do you want to? Uh, how how about this? Is there specific food 
um, more of a like plant or more of a meat? Um, it's more of a meat. I got, I got what's special about it. It is, okay. it tastes like spicy food, but it doesn't burn your tongue. Oh. It is, it's the only, one of the only foods that does that. That's amazing. Yeah. That sounds incredible. It's sp- like, spicy without being spicy. My wife's yep. dream come true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So now we know a little about Rackbot. We have like a basic understanding of him. And the next question that we would ask would be, um, whatever class Rackbot is, we haven't, we have, we didn't actually go through that part with you, but whatever class Rackbot is, um, why did he pick that? Something happened to him at an early age that helped him pick that career path. Um, what, for what reason did he pick that? And then the last part that we would ask you is, why did he leave? He, he seemed to have a good life in, in Dran, uh, or maybe he didn't. Um, but for whatever reason, he decided to leave that and go off an adventure. Now, through all of this, we got a chance to see some of the decisions that you make in, in making this character. And I can tell you already that some of that is, is pretty significant. I'm going to guess that there's some significance to the idea that you were the middle child in your, in your uh, group of siblings. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. and also in this sort of intake process we can see the player and we we can see the player how comfortable do they feel saying a letter Mm -hmm. how comfortable how comfortable do they feel making a choice between big city and small town some of the questions we ask in this intake process are choose one a or b and how well the person can choose between limited options or what are they known for what are they known for is a big question. And it, it really has very little impact on the actual game. It's just about providing some sort of backstory. So you, the, the backstory might be something like it's, it's known for being by a river. It's known for uh, its monsters. It's known for the technology that they have. Whatever it is has a little bit of, of impact on the world, but really not very much. It's just an opportunity, sort of a blank canvas, to see what the, what the player wants to throw at it. Mm-hmm. And to see how well they respond to both like um, – uh, dual choice questions or or multiple choice options, um, as well as like open ended uh, world building and creative options, and we see like a wide variance on on challenge levels within all of them. So to start our games off, we have like a lot of a lot of intake and a lot of uh, information that we take in about the player and the and the challenges that they have. We also before we get to any of that point, we've already talked with the parents about the particular challenges that they have and and what kind of skills that they're they're planning on working on. Then we get to playing the game. <laughs> this was this was all. Um, sort oh, of actually, the actually, playing the game. actually, I didn't even think about this, but like, do they have? Do you have an intake process that assigns them to a particular group? We talk on the phone. Our, okay. We have, we we have an intake form, uh, but most of the time, what happens is uh, a parent will either be referred to us by a counselor, or they will they will find us through the internet or or through advertising things like that, and they will schedule a phone call with us. So Adam or I will talk to them on the phone. We'll ask them a, a fairly limited and specific set of questions about, about specific goals, specific challenges, and those kinds of things. Age is very a very important determinant to where they're ending up. And then we will decide which group they will best fit in and then see if that group will fit with the, the parent's schedule. Because all of our clients, um, almost all of them, I should say, um, are driven and dropped off by a parent. Yeah. So uh, that's a big, a big determining factor on, on who gets placed in which group as well. Um, but there is an intake form where we want to make sure that the groups line up well because age is pretty helpful, but it's, it's often also, um, limited by which groups we think will work well together because, um, a 14 year old could go with some 18 year olds and a 14 year old may be better placed with 11 year old. It really depends on, on the 14 year old. So age, age is not the best determinant, but specific skills and specific maturity level are pretty important. We also look um, pretty closely for some certain diagnostic material. Um, we've been really hesitant to apply the groups to like schizophrenia, um, just as a as like a, um, a challenge for the amount of escapism and and the we're doing a lot of breaking down the wall between the fantasy of this game and and the fantasy of the play that we do and their their own personal um, investment in those things and breaking down those walls is is kind of a uh, a challenge for people with schizophrenia or who, who may need to, to put up more walls and put up more differentiation between um, the things that they have as fantasy and the things that they that are reality. Um, so we want to be really hesitant on, on certain levels of challenge and, and um, disability within the groups uh, or, or, or mental disability, at least, um, when it comes to their, their application. So we're looking, we're kind of scanning and looking for a lot of those things within our groups as well. 
Got it. And then the way that the way that we play the actual game is is geared depends on on the group and depending on the players because we have this uh, this sort of trajectory that players always go through when they're new to playing games anyway, new to playing role playing games, and it really manifests itself very clearly within our groups where there are some kids um, or some young people who come to our groups who what they need therapeutically is to function in a group. So those kids, we want to create a safe space where they can come and collaborate and work together. Our main goals are to get them to function in a group with other kids with similar challenges to feel the inherent rewards of being social. A lot of the kids, as I, I believe I might have mentioned on the on the previous Geek Therapy con, uh, podcast, is uh, they're, they're coming to us with a play deficit. And so we want to get them functioning and playing in a social group experiencing the sort of uh, challenges of unstructured social time in a way that they can understand why that's important because so much of building skills is having practice. And that's actually one of the biggest foundations. So we talk about like, like our theoretical orientation, how we apply this, right? Um, there's basically three things behind the idea of why we think this works so well. Uh, the first is that um, learning skills, learning social skills is just like learning any other skill. Um, in that you have to practice it, sometimes a lot. Um, and for some people that comes really naturally and very easily, and so for some people it doesn't. Um, but for everybody, it still requires practice. So one of our biggest foundational ideas is that practice is a lot easier when it's fun. Um, by having the game be a fun place, a place that, the, that the, our players want to come back to week after week, we're able to um, give them a place where they want to keep practicing social skills. They want to come there and get better at it. Um, the second piece of it is that um, imagined reality is equal to actual reality. So um, the things that they do in the game, when you imagine yourself standing in a place and 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 giving a speech to an army, that has the same uh, benefit to you in a in a personal growth way as actually standing and giving a speech to a, to um, a crowd. But the advantage that we have here is that we can make them successful no matter what their challenge level is. So we can give them the opportunity to, if where they're at is is they're very shy and they're having trouble speaking up in any way whatsoever, and they just go. Come on, let's go get them. We can we can make the army erupt in cheer and 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 chant their name and and be ready because we know that that was a big challenge. That was a big stepping stone for them. Whereas on the other hand, if they are already good at standing up and and in front of people, but they need to work on being more concise or having good body language, then we might actually have them stand at the table and might actually like say uh, when they go, "Come on, guys, go get them" or whatever. We might say, "Yeah, they're not they're not feeling it." Yeah, they're, they're kind of. You see a guy pick, in his front picking his nose, and they're kind of not paying attention to you. You think you need to to really stand up straight and really speak to them in a in a way that rallies them together. So we get the opportunity to scaffold that that challenge. Um, but because even though it's an imagined world, it's just as impactful and it's just as meaningful in the way of building those those skills. And the last part, which was something that we just we just talked about, is is the idea that you are your character. Um, you, by making decisions about who your character is, you put pieces of yourself into that. So um, every time you make a decision, every time uh, when you made your character Rackbot, um, you put little pieces of yourself into into each of those those uh, decisions that you made. Um, and maybe those are big pieces, maybe those are small pieces, but every single one of them contributes to the idea that you now have ownership of that character, and that character is you, at least a little bit. And so we get to play around with the space in between you and your character, sometimes allowing you to be your character entirely and referring to you as, as um, you as Rackbot or sometimes referring to you two as separate things when you need to be able to give ownership and, and, and uh, um, challenge when you need to be able to, to dump the challenges that you're having onto Rackbot instead of having to own them for yourself so you can have some extra distance, some extra perspective from that. Or I'm, I'm guessing you also ask things like you would ask me like what would you tell what would you suggest that Rackbot do in this instance right and then kind of like then I could take like a advisory role right or like think about it from another perspective things absolutely like that. Okay. Um, as an example of that kind of thing uh, we had a player who was really really working on on impulse control and um, really challenged by. Um, uh, not just diving and doing the first thing that, that came across their mind. A lot of attention issues and, and ADHD-related issues. And they made a character um, 
that was working on those exact same things. They even said as they were making the character, my character has problems with impulse control <laughs> and attention issues. Um, and we were like, yes, yes, your character does have those problems. Um, and at one point in the, in the story, um, they had triggered uh, a trap uh, that, that basically endangered the entire party. Um, and the whole rest of the party had to like decide whether or not they were going to leave that character to be eaten by this giant troll um, or whether or not they were going to try to save him after they made this, frankly, probably ill-informed decision to, <laughs> to release the giant troll in the first place. Um, and after that, the end of that session, um, that player said, my character needs to ask for help from the other character to help learn how to control some of the impulse control issues. So they had this great chance to be able to project and put those things, those are the things that I'm challenged with, but I, I have a hard time asking for help for those things. Instead, my character, I'm going to recognize that my character is challenged by those same things, and my character is going to ask for help on how to get better at that at that kind of thing. And not just ask from the game masters, but ask from the other players, because they are the ones in the world that my character is in, uh, which is just a tremendous, a tremendous success. And as much as you might think that the other players might have been frustrated with that, with that other player's choice to endanger the party by by triggering the trap, the other players were actually really thankful. And one of the players during our checkout said, I'm, I'm really appreciative that that character uh, did that because that's why I'm here. I'm here because I also need to work on impulse control. So I, I thank you for having your character do that. Of course, at the time they were... <laughs> there, there was a moment of, of everybody trying to make the decision, mm -hmm. but ultimately it was sure, hindsight, like, hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's a, there's a lot of, especially with some of our older, older players, there's a lot of active reflection around, around sort of what you said around what advice would I give my character? What, what, what is the purpose of this character for me? What would my character do? I sometimes give them a, through a process. I'll, I'll ask them, um, sort of what advice would you give your character? And then I'll often ask them, what advice would your character give you? And it's an interesting opportunity for us to reflect on why we choose the characters that we choose. And, you know, I like to play a really charismatic character who can kind of get in there and, and, and you know, lie to people, be really charismatic. And, and I have to think about why, why do I like playing that kind of character? What advice would my, would my character give me? My character might, might tell me, you know, not to be so shy, or my character might tell me to... Um, to not be afraid of social interaction. And we can have um, the kids really reflect on why they, what they like about their character and the things that they might struggle with their character doesn't. And then have them, my, my homework to them, I'll give them is come back next week with one example where you took the advice that your character just gave you. Which sometimes they'll do. <laughs> <laughs> As is true for all therapy homework. <laughs> yeah. So how long does a game take for example do you guys have is it is it one and done or are these does a group stay together for six weeks a year we run a, a quarter system so we have 10 weeks at a time is, is oftentimes when a parent will sign up for their kid to come to us it's about 10 weeks a uh, 10 nine through 11 weeks depending on the holiday schedule because we do align a lot of it with the, the school calendar um and then we have seen some people come for a quarter and then they they develop some some skills and then they can go practice them elsewhere. And then some other other players will be with us for a quarter after quarter. And we've had some players for about five years now. Yeah, we had some players that we, we were seeing as part of the other group. And after we left, they they weren't happy with the, the direction the group went. So so they came in and joined our group. Um and so some of them we've, we've gotten a chance to watch go from being 13 and 14 years old to being 18 and 19. Um, and that's an amazing experience is watching that transition and watching that growth. Mm -hmm. Not the same character the whole time. No, no. Uh, often playing different characters kind of throughout that, maybe about once a year changing to different characters. But, but um, watching the, the player grow, which is amazing. Do you guys ever see like a difference between a character they created before and a character they created now? That's an obvious like improvement or difference, uh, or something they were working on that now they or they 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 chose to work on something else. 
Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. absolutely. I, I think that the issues that you're working on, one of the great things about, about this kind of um, uh, style of therapy is that it gives you opportunity to choose what you're working on to some extent. So I, I can say I'm making a character who is, who is charismatic because I want to play around with the idea of what it would be like if I was charismatic, what it would be like if I could talk to people and convince them of, of what I want and what I need and really communicate effectively with people. And then after they're done playing around with those ideas, they might go and make a character that is the exact opposite. That is harsh and and that is that has trouble communicating with people so that they can play around with with like maybe here's where where I'm at or or here's progress that I've made. And whatever reason they they pick those those particular challenges that gives them something different that they can now be working on. So one of our early players uh, played a cleric for a long time um, and uh, largely was support for the group for, for a really, really long time and um, dug in and made that character really, really in-depth. Um, and then later on when we, when we um, continued to work with them, uh, they made a character who was Nick Cage, um, who was just Nick Cage from every movie that Nick Cage had been in. <laughs> that, was the, <laughs> that was the character concept. And clearly they were working through a very different thing. And interestingly, we've watched um, a lot, because we've had the opportunity to watch... Um, uh, kids, uh, players who were younger, who were 13 and 14, um, to advance into something, to grow into older ages. We've also had the opportunity to see some of the different challenges that they come up with during that time. We've noticed that um, older teenage players tend to want to pick characters that have a lot more versatility, like they're playing around with identification. Um, Nick Cage is actually a great example of that. Um, the player didn't want to pick one Nick Cage. He didn't want to pick Ghost Rider or, or you know, face-off Nick Cage. He wanted to pick Nick Cage so that he could be all of the Nick Cages and get, could play around with with all the versatility of the characters that he could be. Um, and we've seen that in, in several other examples, too. Like the opportunity to pick something that, that I'm playing with self-identification and I'm unsure of my own personal self-identification. And so I'm playing around with that idea in my character who can play with many, many different types of ways to identify. That's quite the superpower. Yeah. <laughs> Being a cage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he had, he had a, he had a, his character's head would, would erupt into flame when he was, when it was nighttime, there a lot of Ghost Rider references, <laughs> and his his arch nemesis was John Travolta. <laughs> oh man, I mean that that to me sounds like like you should be telling that story every time somebody asks you about you know about this process because <laughs> it's so it just it just says so much about what's going on. Um, I'm just gonna sit back. I want to hear more stories. <laughs> oh okay, uh, Adam, you should tell the dwarf at the dinner party. Um, so early on. Uh, we had a player and I spoke to his, his, uh, parent and I spoke to, to through the parent, I I heard some stories from school about how his body language was impacting his ability to make friends. And this was a a boy who was uh, very quiet in his demeanor and he would sit at, at at the table at, at our table, but apparently also at school with his feet up on the chair and his arm wrapped around his knees. And he was pretty tall. So his knees would kind of cover his face and he was, so he would speak quietly from behind his knees. And I'm half deaf, so I had a hard time hearing him in the first place. Um, so then um, when I talked to the parents, I understand that this is a not just our group, but it was something he would do at school. And it was something that the uh, the teacher had identified as something that was directly resulting in his his challenge, social challenges at school, was his awareness of his own body language. Um, so I'd never, I would never want to, to necessarily teach him to change. I wouldn't want him to, to say, this thing is putting off your friends, your ability to make friends. I don't want to be direct instruction uh, telling him to change who he is. But I wanted to give him an opportunity to think about the way that his body language was affecting other people. So this player, just a backstory on him, he came in and we gave him the opportunity to create his own character. And he chose a dwarf barbarian. So there was already uh, a very tall, very quiet person who had chosen a loud dwarf character who, um, you know, I, we gave a little bit of a backstory. This is before we had our whole intake process. And I just gave him kind of a, a brief story if he, if he chose to use it. Um, but he, he changed all that and made it this dwarf barbarian a loud and bumbling and an unapologetic character who would take what he wanted without asking permission. It was, it was a beautiful uh, reminder of the way that people choose the character they need to play. And so he chose this, this bumbling dwarf barbarian character. And in the game, I had them, 
for the purposes of of learning more about the political situation in this town, I had them infiltrate a fancy dinner party where they could um, listen in on on some diplomat. And so in order for them to infiltrate this fancy dinner party, they had to pretend to be royalty visiting from a neighboring kingdom. So this uh, socially challenged boy was pretending to be a dwarf barbarian who was then pretending to be a king. <laughs> and I had them at the at the table sit at our gaming table the way their characters were sitting at the fancy dinner party. So I had them do just one step of embodiment where this particular uh, young person who normally sat, as I described previously, was sitting with his legs wide. And I, w- I am, of course, as the as the game master, describing and and naming the things he's doing. Oh, you! I see your shoulders are broadened. I see I see you have your fists on the table. I see that your 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 legs are very spread apart and you're taking up a lot of space. I, I'm noticing, and and the people at the table with you are noticing that too. And I, of course, the game master, am playing all these. Uh, non-player characters, these sycophantic people who think that his character is a king. So all of these uh, these people around the servants are like, oh, yes, oh, yes, your majesty. And they're like admiring how much space he's taking up. And he's, of course, loving this. And his character is reaching over and knocking the bread bowl over and ripping apart the loaf of bread and eating it. And I'm like having all of these NPCs watch what he's doing and model it because they think his character as a king so they you know they're trained and they they know that you're supposed to do what the king does because he's giving you the example so then everyone else at the table is like banging on the table and <laughs> ripping apart the bread and this kid's loving how much attention he's getting by taking up space and that was a moment where where I could use what I know he's working on what I know because we've talked to the parents and also it's 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 evident by intuitively by working with this kid you know he's he now has an opportunity to play with his body language to play with the way that he translates that into his character and then also experiences the the inherent rewards of 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 relating to other people with different body language and seeing how taking up space affects his his social interaction he's not a dwarf barbarian and i wouldn't want him to to be knocking over bread bowls and things like that but for that particular person i wanted him to play with the idea of taking up space in uh in another example just in the idea of like scaffolding because there are sometimes where where we have this great opportunity to be able to to give all of that to a player. Um, I had another player that was that ha- was and is still working on um, social anxiety, um, really really tremendous social anxiety that prevents him from being able to to get outside, from being able to attend school, um, have a job. And I also work with him in private practice, which gives this great great opportunity to be able to. Um, look at all the things that he does in the game and then have long conversations about how his character um, is impacted by these things and how he takes and puts things uh, from his character and the choices that he makes and how those how those choices are significant for him personally. Um, and in this campaign, he was playing a general who was a bard but but um, didn't cast bardic spells through music. Instead, he, he was a commanding presence. He basically used his his charismatic nature to be commanding and to give inspiration and, and support to his teammates using that more commanding presence. And he, uh, was rallying an army to take back the kingdom that he, that he belonged to essentially. And in rallying the army, I made him give the speech in our session. And this was a lot of setup to the idea that he had rallied all these troops together who had families and who had people that they cared about. Um, and he had to walk through and I, I gave description for looking into the faces of these men who were unsure about the leader that they're following and they're unsure about the, the cause that they're behind. And you know that they believe in it, but you also know that, that they're leaving behind their families and their nation and their, and, and the things that they care about in order to be a part of this cause for what looks to be almost certain death as they, they're going to march against against a force much greater than themselves. And I give him all this great description as he was walking through this. And then I had him create the speech. And we sat down together in, in, the, in the game itself. And we wrote down the, the big major talking points to the speech because it's a story. And because he has this, this chance to, to get in and, and be a, a epic moment of his story. And so he outlined kind of the, the basic things of his speech. And for him to give that speech, and I asked him and gave him the opportunity, do you want to give this speech? I would love for you to stand up here and give this. And that was too much. That was too much anxiety. We created this whole world. And even imagining himself giving the speech in that, in that situation was way overwhelming for him. 
So instead I had him give me direction. So I stood there and I said, how will you stand when you give this speech? And he, he moved, he moved me and he, he said, well, you put your arm like this and, and we'll stand up a little more, more straight. And, and I said, what, what does this voice sound like? Is it, is it deeper? Is it a deeper, a deeper voice or gravelly? Or maybe it's a little, a little gravelly. And he kind of directed me on how to, how to give the, the voice to the speech. And I read off the lines of his speech while doing it the way that, the way that he did it and the, the opportunity to see him as himself through his character through me was was huge for him it was this great chance to see what it would look like for him to be standing there with that level of confidence and that level of of self-assurance um and a chance for him to explore that idea through his character through through these these other stages which gave him safety it gave him a chance to to do that through a safe a safe lens for himself you know, I'm just imagining trying to do that in a one-on-one therapy session or some, or just a traditional group session where you're sitting around in a group, right? And because you don't have the context for it, right? like you said at the beginning, you want to make first you want to allow um, your clients to practice, but then you want it to be fun. And like you don't have to talk about why that would be strange in another type of group or anything, right? Like that's just <laughs> that's a normal thing that happens in your groups every day. Mm-hmm. And yeah. oh man, I mean just. The setup of it alone, right, is just so. I'm assuming, right, that that after after all this time, like you look back and you're like, duh, this makes perfect sense. Why don't? Why <laughs> did they teach this to us in school? You know, the the yeah. you know one of the most frustrating things about mental health work is the slow feedback uh, loop that we have. You know, and oh yeah, and sending them to go practice somewhere else, and then coming back a week later, maybe two, and you know, you're creating like these opportunities right on the moment and and adapting the environment. And then because you've created this whole, like you said, you're creating this whole imaginary world where all these things are happening and you're, you are so everybody in the environment, right? There's no limit to what you can um, mm-hmm. manipulate in that environment. And like, there's no, I can't even think of another context or another way to to do that within a structure that like already is a thing and makes sense to people that can understand other than maybe some sort of VR experience but even then like unless like that technology is really far off where you could say something like that and then the environment would change holodeck mm, yeah. maybe you know yeah <laughs> right <laughs> it's like I, such I a natural fit holodeck D&D games those sound amazing yeah. oh yeah oh yeah that's right. And we can, I mean, we can change the situation on the fly. There are so many days where Adam and I will meticulously plan our adventure. And then for whatever reason, um, somebody got sick that day and our group dynamic has shifted or the energy is just not in the room for that. We can change the entire thing. There are days when um, I have this really complex plan and because of the energy that day, I, I decide that their wagon gets attacked by goblins and they have to escape from a goblin jail and I had none of that planned ahead of time but what they're needing that day is to feel powerful and the original plan that I had was not for them to do that but now that they can uh, crack a puzzle un- unlock some some secret to this village they're in or whatever the case may be I can respond to it intuitively which you just can't happen with something as structured or as limited as a, as a, an electronic experience there's just no way that it can be as adaptive and reactive as I can be as a game master who describes the situation. I can make a character change on the dot. I can I can have my gruff, evil character um, cry when they insult him, and then it changes the dynamic. Yeah. I I can do all all these kinds of things depending on on what the player themselves need. Um, just to just to speak to that that idea, especially we had this whole plot line uh, where uh, the players were trying to infiltrate a church. Um, that had a sort of false priest that was that was um, uh, using magic to to be more um, charismatic and was was uh, buying out um, stuff below the church so that he could dig to get to this um, really powerful artifact. And when they had infiltrated the whole thing and they they found the the uh, um, priest and they his name was Prideman and they made it all the way to the end and this was supposed to be the big you know the big final battle the big the big um, epic. Uh, final battle for the the last day of the quarter. And we had we had designed uh, this final battle where this this boss was going to have this like magic mech suit that he was going to summon from all the corners of this room, and he was going to be like a battle bot with all these different like rotating wand gauntlet gun gatling gun things. <laughs> and then 
we got to the to the part where he was he, he has the the amulet that's going to summon all these all these parts to him and the players instead of deciding to fight talked him down <laughs> and it's a it's a social skills group we we want to see that we like yeah. we we plan for big combats and things like that because sometimes that's that's the fun of the game and we want to maintain that part too but when they got there they said you don't have to do this you don't have to be this you still have a choice and did you prompt them like with a choice of fighting or talking him down or did it no, just happen no no we were like looking forward <laughs> we were like, to this <laughs> <laughs> We're like, seriously, guys, you still want to talk to him? Okay. And, then, and it wasn't, it wasn't, what's great about it is that it wasn't just one person who said like, no, I'm just going to use my, you know, my charismatic roles to talk him down. The other players then uh, like latched on and, and did things like, like um, uh, illusionary effects to make him, to make that one person lit a lot better. So they seem more, more prominent and more, more commanding and, and like um, um, things that they did in the background to help support what was going on in the situation. So everybody was involved in talking down Prideman from this evil path that he was on. And they did. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like we had a, a any sort of like difficulty class or anything that they needed to roll on a diplomacy check. It was all improvised. There was there was not a, any sort of predetermined way we could have ever assumed that they would try to talk this guy down. He was set up to be the villain way before this. Yeah. And we knew that he wasn't the end villain. And so at the end of it, Prideman get like fell to his knees and he said yes I, you're right you're right i have these these deep beliefs and he, he he actually in the story he was a priest and so he he like no i want to i want to go back to my my beliefs and i want to go back to serving people and i want to do good uh and then the big bad guy showed up behind him and killed him and it was this great moment to rally all the players against this this big bad guy because now they now they really hated it, <laughs> um, oh, which which is great. In a social skills group, uh, a lot of our players are trying to pull away from each other and they're trying not to work together. So yeah. to give them chances to rally behind a goal, to 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 have a common interest, to have a common thing that they're all working towards, that's spectacular. Um, so we want to paint those opportunities as as often as as we can, really. Damn, that's a good story. <laughs> um, the, the, old, the old killing a friendly NPC is kind of a, a trick that we have up our sleeve. It's a it's a go to. <laughs> gotcha. So I I had mentioned in the other uh, in the other recording that we did the Seamus character. So Seamus yes. is a common trick that we use very early on in a lot of our groups um, in order to rally everybody together. A lot of our players come with like, well, my character is trying to explore the world in order to figure out who killed his parents. And my character is trying to find the lost artifact of an ancient people that I come from. So they they come with these various, various disparate goals and interests. So we have to figure out a way that's not just like, oh, there's gold in the mine if you kill the goblins or anything like that. They're not just uh, questing for loot. We have to figure out sort of a mission to get them all to align. So they show up in, and uh, like I mentioned, in a, in a soup kitchen because we don't have alcohol in our game, so it's all it's all soup in mugs. Um, and the character who's serving them soup, his name is Seamus the Soup Maven, and Seamus has kind of a piratey voice, and he comes up and he he loves everybody that comes in. Oh, you're looking for the lost treasure of of what you call it? Yes, I'm. That's pretty amazing. I've, I haven't heard anything like that. I like your cloak that you have there. It's very dark. It you have a cool smoking. sword. I, I, that takes a lot of strength to be able to carry that sword. <laughs> Wow! Oh, you want you want a nothing soup? It's one of my specialties. Here you go. It's very light. It's a very airy soup that you can have. Uh, Seamus can serve just about any soup that anybody can come up with. Um, and Seamus walks around and he serves everybody these great soups. And they they uh, they get a chance to to meet and interact with him. And then as they are there, suddenly a figure bursts through the walls. The wall gets this giant hole blasted in it and a figure in dark armor um, shows up and he says something to Seamus, usually something along the lines of, of like, Seamus, I'm finally taking it. Um, and then shoots a, a dagger or throws a dagger into Seamus' stomach and Seamus keels over dead. <laughs> and it's great. And we love, we love telling this story when we go to PAX because it's, it's amazing to hear the audience all gasp <laughs> or, or go or go oh and they hear Seamus has died um and and I go you've known Seamus for like 10 seconds yeah. 
But that's that's the magic that Seamus is an endearing character who has complimented everybody and been fun. It's also oftentimes one of the first characters that Adam or I will play. So we get to talk in silly voice and sort of be playful with them and then give them a little taste of that. And then Seamus will die. Doesn't always die. Sometimes he survives. There's there's some other iterations of Seamus where he won't he won't exactly die. He'll be mortally wounded by the by the the evil necromancer's attack, and they'll have to go quest to find an item that'll heal him. But he won't get healed all the way. The very first time that we used Seamus, um, we actually intended for him to die. The, the whole the whole point was that we came up with this idea that we would make a character, he'd be endearing, and then he would die, and the players would have something to rally. Um, towards this bad guy now now they have a reason to hate this bad guy um and and so we we had Seamus die and one of the characters in the game was a necromancer who largely did a lot in the games to push other people away from him really had trouble making connection to, to other players really had trouble making uh um being a cooperative player with the with the other players to be a character that wanted to work along with everybody else and in the moment Seamus is is like gasping for his last breath the necromancer character these were all very low level characters he said i want to cast i think it's preserved corpse or something um is is it like a, a higher level spell and a higher level necromancy spell that allows you to like like freeze a, a dead body in its in its state right as it is so that you can heal him later. Um, but he wasn't high enough level to cast it. And so we, we sort of thought on it and we said, all right, you can cast it, but you mess up the spell. And you're only allowed to preserve Seamus's head. And then forever he was bound to Seamus's head and Seamus was like there talking to him and it was just a head now. Um, but he couldn't make soup or anything anymore. He didn't have hands anymore. And, and, and that player was now bound. He couldn't move all that far away from the head because they were bound to each other. So he had to like carry around Seamus's head everywhere that he went. Um, but he had, but he saved Seamus. I mean, that was, that was the, the great part about it was that he got to act as, as the savior for the character that everybody loved. And Seamus's head was still fully able to talk, so it was just put into a bag, and they carried <laughs> they carried around Seamus's head in a bag, and then every once in a while the group would start to fight or argue or decide where they want. I don't know if I really wanted to go fight this necromancer. I don't really know. <laughs> and Seamus said, oh, "What what are you talking about? You took the rest of my body. We have to go after it. <laughs> I wish I could make. Some I wish soup. I could make soup again. <laughs> You're right. Let's go get him." <laughs> When did you guys realize you needed a Seamus? I think Seamus is probably one of these things that was probably also initially an accident. It was one of these things where we ha kept having groups come in. And uh, it's a question that happens all the time in, in all D&D groups if the players don't make up a reason why they have a, some buy-in to be together as, a, as a, an adventuring party. Um, all the players just wanted to do different things. They're like, well, I don't trust him. I want to kill him to their teammate. And so we would have to say, no, you can't do that. And instead of trying to be controlling um, as game masters and trying to say, well, you guys have to go do this because it's our story, um, we needed to come up with a compelling reason for them to do this. We ha already had the, you know, the, the chalice that if the necromancer gets it, he's going to resurrect a, an undead lich that will take over the world or whatever. We already had these kinds of things, but we knew we needed to have an emotional buy-in to it in addition to just the, the storyline buy-in. So Seamus, Seamus dying was the, the way for them to want to get revenge. Um, I think one of the, I mean, I think that's a big challenge for any dungeon master is how do I create something that is motivating for my players to want to continue to do? Because sometimes stories are long and convoluted and have parts you don't want to do and in our games we do a lot of like frustration activities we purposefully make things in the game that are frustrating for the players um, challenges that are hard to overcome because part of that is is about growth in order to grow i have to be challenged and then sometimes that challenge can be really frustrating um and so having motivation is a huge part of being able to overcome that challenge and early motivation is hard to obtain because you're you are um not that connected to the characters yet you're not that connected to the story you're not that connected to your teammates um and so to give something that gives that that very very early connection as well as like a reason to keep doing this um sometimes is enough to get the ball rolling and then eventually the reason to keep doing it the reason to keep throwing yourself into it is because you are enjoying the experience and that's really what we're shooting for is the enjoyment of of the social experience so that you want to keep coming back and you want to keep going at it um, to make that the motivating factor to overcome frustration. Man, I want to I wanna hear just so many 
more stories. <laughs> 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 because this is, uh, while you guys have been talking the entire time, like my gasp when Seamus died was not staged. <laughs> it was genuine. <laughs> and, and I'm honestly, I've been smiling the entire time, right? <laughs> smiling from the moment that my name was Rackbot and, <laughs> and uh, just every one of those interactions, again, from... I don't know how somebody who isn't, uh, you know, who who doesn't work in this field would would feel about listening to this stuff. I'm assuming they would also be um, very, very engaged um, and just like immediately see the potential. Right. And how how great it is. But but for me, like this isn't the first time we've spoken and I've enjoyed it so, so much just to hear you guys um, talk about this. It is so much fun for me. I don't know about uh, listeners, but if people wanted to know um, more about what you guys are doing or, or had more questions, like I've got some shameless questions, but you know we're kind of out of time. Like, uh, <laughs> um, like working people reach you, or or is there anything else you want to say before before we start wrapping up? Um, one thing that I would I would want as I would love people to contact us, especially if they are someone who. Uh, wants to do this or is already doing this, I would love to hear stories and share more stories and offer suggestions and offer advice based on what we've learned and learn from other people who are already doing this. I would love for people to reach out to us. Um, People can learn more about us at wheelhouseworkshop.com or we have a Twitter account uh, at wheelhousews and we're on Facebook. Facebook is probably the place we update the most. Um, We get on Twitter um, and we have a blog um, but please feel free to reach out to us um, any of those three ways. It'd be awesome to be in touch with other people who are excited about this or other people who are doing this or people who just want to um, talk about it. You can email us at contact at wheelhouseworkshop.com. Um, and we absolutely love connecting with people. One of the, the greatest joys of being able to do this work, aside from from being able to play D&D just a tremendous number of times per week is getting to talk with other people who play D and D and who do it for therapeutic benefits. So please, please reach out to us um, and tell us about your story or tell us about how you got started in this, how you invented this, that, that we would love to hear. Guys, one thing I do want to ask before we leave is does Seamus do birthday parties? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but they're, they're like just a, it's a soup party. So it's, it's just a lot of. I hope you like soup. That's that's. Well, I don't know how I feel about it anymore. A delicious <laughs> cake soup, birthday cake soup. Mm. <laughs> yep. the, the candles don't stay lit very long. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. That's it for part two of our talk with Adam and Adam from Wheelhouse Workshop. Again, for more information about what they're doing, visit wheelhouseworkshop.com. And man, I really like those guys. If you didn't hear the first episode, check it out on Geek Therapy. That's at geektherapy.com. And if you're on iTunes, click the link in the description to go right to that. Thanks for listening. And Woody will be back next time with more Rolling for Change.